I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we looked at the issue of discipleship, which is the process or state of being made a disciple. You recall we were discussing about disciples as distinct from members, and we looked at the process by which disciples are made. We made it clear that disciples are actually made, that nobody is born a disciple, but disciples are made, and disciples are learners, students of a particular master. And that when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, disciples are people to whom the word of God is preached. In fact, we noted that New Testament discipleship involves the making, the teaching, the training of one who has been a sinner and who is now born again and been sanctified such that he or she becomes or acts like his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, after some time of teaching, as happened in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when the Gentiles who had been told the gospel were being taught for a period of one year, and the Bible records that they saw them as people who looked like Christ. Thus, the disciples were called Christians, Christ-like, for the first time in Antioch, not even in Jerusalem, but in Antioch. Discipleship, we said, is a lifetime of learning and living out what has been learnt of the new way. Christianity was not known as Christianity. It was known as the way. So they were teaching them this new way of life. If you recall, we've been looking at Acts chapter 6, actually, just the first part. It says, and in those days, the disciples were multiplying. Up to Acts chapter 6, the gospel was only being preached to Jews. It had not even reached any other place. And so we're looking at people who had been Judaizers. But here they were now learning about a new way, distinct from Judaism. So it was referred to as the way. It was a new way of life, a new way of belief, a new way that was radically different from the way they had known. And then you remember we said, in those days, as the disciples were being multiplied, what were the things that happened? We noticed that they spent time learning from the apostles about the Lord. They learned about his doctrines, they learned about his lifestyle, they learned about his ministry, they learned about his death, they learned about his resurrection, they learned about his ascension, and they learned also that he will be returning again. So they have a hope of their belief. The hope was that the Lord Jesus Christ would return someday. We also noted that the disciples were people who grew progressively in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They grew progressively to the extent that each passing day, each passing month, each passing year, they knew him more and more as though they had been with him because they had spent so much time learning about him that they knew more and more about the Lord, knew more and more about the way. Finally, we said that these disciples were being prepared for the inevitable. Discipleship involves being prepared for the inevitable. These disciples of old, were prepared for the inevitable. They were told that the master suffered and so they also will suffer. They were told that the master died for the cause of the salvation of mankind and that they also would die for the cause of the salvation of mankind. They were so prepared for death in this new way that they were not swayed 
by all the attempts that were made by the Romans and by even the Sanhedrin to stop them from continuing in the ministry of the gospel. In this broadcast, we will move on from discipleship and now begin to unravel some things. What was it that made discipleship to stand out in those days when disciples were multiplying as distinct from these days? It's not as if we don't have some of these things. In some churches, you have workers training, you have discipleship schools, you have Bible colleges. We have all kinds of things that people are bringing up. But there was something that stood out in their own case without the appellations of school or no school or training or no training, but it made their own standard. What was it? That's what we want to look at today. And we trust the Almighty God that He will open our eyes, our ears to receive, and our hearts to understand what is being said so that we don't lose out on the vital things that the Lord wants to express to us. The message was one major thing that stood out. The message that was preached was something that stood out in their time. Unlike these days, where we find so many messages, we find so many uninspired teachers or preachers preaching the same message. People who are not led by the Spirit of God, but they are led by their belly. They are led by what it is they intend to gain. And they begin to preach all kinds of messages for selfish purposes, for selfish reasons. Sometimes the reason is just to have people gathered, to have many people. So they won't even tell people the truth. They would lie to them so that people can be gathered. Unlike in our day, in those days, there was only one message. It was from only one source. The Holy Spirit was the source, was the inspiration of the message. It was delivered in various ways, but for only one purpose, the purpose of God. That is one clear distinction that they had that we don't have. In our time, messages are rife. There are so many messages, how you can be great, how you can be rich, how you can be made well, how you can be renowned, how you can become something that the whole world will admire and all kinds of things. But in their own time, they had only one message. That message was the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. You couldn't hear a message from them in those days and not hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified. In our day, people can preach about money from the beginning to the end. And when they finish their preaching, they will now say to you, if you want to give your life to Christ, come and give your life to Christ so that you can become rich. Who will not jump up? But that is not salvation. They had one message. The message was the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me read a few portions of scripture. In Acts chapter 2, the first time that the message was preached to people after the Lord Jesus Christ had arisen. I'll just read from verse 22. This was Peter talking to the people after the Holy Ghost had come and they were speaking in tongues. People gathered and they heard them speaking in their own different languages. These were Jews from different parts of the world. And they heard them speaking in their own different languages. Their different original languages, Arabian, Scythian, Parthian, Mede, Persian, and so on and so forth. And they began to glorify God. But some said, these people are drunk. So Peter began to preach to them and said, this is not what you suppose. These are not people who are drunk. These are people enacting what God had spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In verse 22 says, Men of Israel, this is Peter speaking, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Let me pause here and explain something to you. When he says that the Lord Jesus Christ was attested to us by miracles, signs, and wonders, what he's saying is that the miracles and the signs and the wonders that the Lord Jesus Christ wrought was a testimony of the fact that he came from God. That he wasn't just an ordinary man. Today we are having miracles, signs, and wonders for display. It does not attest to the fact that this is from God. A lot of the things that we even call miracles today are questionable. I listen to testimonies on television and I'm wondering how somebody, for example, who is seen for the first time, who is able to walk for the first time, and so on and so forth, can actually stand in a queue quietly to talk. I would expect that man to be running all over the place. We know what happened in Acts chapter 3 when the man who was born lame was made to walk through the word of Peter and John. How he disrupted the service that day. He ran into the temple. The Bible says he was jumping up. He was leaping. He was making noise. He was praising God. He was glorifying God. He was shouting. But in our own time, we find people calmly waiting. And you wonder, is it possible that this happened? That somebody will be seen for the first time and he'll be calmly waiting in a line? <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, it, it bungles the mind. So he continues in verse 23. Him, that is Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. He pointed the crucifixion. Yes, it was the purpose of God. But you guys were involved 100%. Many of these people were in Jerusalem at the Passover when this happened. And so he was pointing, you are the guys responsible for this. You were the people whom the Sanhedrin had motivated and you were the one shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Even though you didn't know what he did wrong. But you just shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pain of death. Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David has says concerning him, that is concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, that is David being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That was the message. The Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was without sin. But you crucified him. 
You said he should be crucified. It was according to the purpose of God, but you were the ones that said, crucify him, crucify me. In that you had done wrong. He said, look, this Jesus has been raised up. And then he begins to talk about David, what David said. He said, David said that God will not allow his soul to see corruption or to decay. He said, but David, his tomb is here. David, being a prophet, was prophesying about this Jesus Christ. That he is risen. We are witnesses. We saw him rise up. He said, this is the Jesus that we are not talking to you about. It is him that has poured out on us. These words that you hear us speak by his spirit. He has poured it upon us and we are able to prophesy. He said, David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till you end in the earth. He said, that, that, prophet, that statement was about Jesus Christ. This was the Holy Spirit leading them to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, I mentioned the man who was born lame, who began to walk. From verse 12, I'll just read to verse 18 or so. The Bible says concerning Peter, after that man began to walk and everything, this was what Peter did. So when Peter saw it, that people were looking at them and gathering, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of whom we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. It was Jesus Christ we were preaching. They did not say, oh, thank God, we are the ones who healed him. You know, you can come tomorrow and we'll engage in some more ministry, miracles. Bring your lame, bring your sick, bring your this. They didn't say that. They just went straight ahead and said, what you are seeing today is Jesus Christ at work in this man's life. It is Jesus Christ that you see doing what you are seeing this day. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and I'm just going to read two verses of scripture here. Acts chapter 9, verse 19 and verse 20. This is about Saul of Tarsus, just after he had been saved and Ananias was sent to lay hands on him so that his eyes opened. Once his eyes opened, this was just three days after he met with the Lord. In verse 19, the Bible says, So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Saul of Tarsus, who had been blinded by a bright light from heaven, when his eyes opened, did not go about talking about how his eyes were smitten and how his eyes had just been opened. What he did was to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. He may have mentioned the smiting of his eyes, but the point is that he used it to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not become a celebrity who's going about and they are talking about how light has shone on his eyes and so on and so forth. He did not go about talking about how he's, he was made blind for three days or anything. No, the point was Christ and him 
crucified. That this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah you have, you have all been waiting for. Remember, up to this point, they were preaching to Jews. They had not come yet to the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, verse 18 to 19, by the time Romans was written, the Gentiles were already hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. Paul is right, right and says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. I am not going to pick notes from somebody and begin to say to you, I am going to say what Christ has done in me, has done through me, has done by me. In word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. I'm going to use it to bring the Gentiles to the obedience of the word of God. That's what it means there. In mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Ilricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He has preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no way you could preach the gospel in those days and not talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one singular message of the gospel. He was the one the gospel was set to project, to speak about, to declare to a dying world of his love and his mercy in bringing life to those who were supposed to have been destroyed by death through sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul again, writing to the Corinthian church, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. You would know. I couldn't even speak well. I came with trepidation. I was, it's not as if I'm such a brilliant speaker. But I came to declare to you the testimony of God. In verse 2, see what it says. It says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only thing I came to declare to you was Jesus Christ and him crucified. I did not come to tell you that you will be rich. I did not come to tell you that you will be famous. I did not come to tell you that you will be healthy. I did not come to tell you any of those things. I came to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. The purpose for his crucifixion. The purpose for his resurrection. The purpose for his ascension. The fact that he will be coming back again. I came to talk to you about the things that he did in his lifetime. Why he did those things. Why he came at all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your born servants, for Jesus' sake. We have not come to preach about ourselves. I've heard many preachers, the way they spend time talking about themselves, I am not talking about when you are giving testimonies of what the Lord has done through you in your life. I'm talking of a whole service dedicated to talking about themselves, how rich they are, how wealthy they have become, the kind of thing that's happening around them, the kind of things that will happen to you if you ally yourself to them, if you give to them, if you come to their church, and so on and so forth. In those days, Jesus was the message. In those days, nobody preached about themselves. If they ever spoke about themselves, it is to talk about, in all humility, what the Lord had done in their lives. There was no boasting. There was no pride. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he began to speak about some of the things that he had done, some of the things that happened to him. He called that boastings. He said, look at me boasting. Because you listen to those people who boast. That's the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. But let me even boast about things that has happened to me. And he began to speak about his sufferings, about the things, the challenges that he has faced in the course of the ministry. He said, that is my own boasting. How would you like to have somebody come to your church? And say to you that armed robbers have waylaid him five times, stripped him of the things that he had, 
and thrown him out. How would you like somebody to say to you that for the sake of the preaching of the gospel, he has been flogged 39 times on three different occasions, that, and I will show you the blisters in my back. How would you like somebody to say to you that I have suffered shipwreck on two or three different occasions? How would you like somebody to tell you that? And then you will now stay there and say, I want to hear this message. No, many of us will run away from that church because that's not why we went there. I'm trusting the Almighty God that we will discuss our own response to the gospel at some point in time in our discussion. Because it is not just enough to talk about the preaching of the message, but also the reception of the message. This message of the Lord Jesus Christ, this one message, is what produced souls that were hungry for more and all of Jesus. Its impact was so strong, it produced the kind of souls that many of us would be envious of. Today we see people who come to church in their sins. They even boast in their sins, in their shame. People steal money and come and give testimony of how God had made them rich from theft, from bribery, from corruption. The pastors that they are gloating here, the message produced souls that were hungry for more and more and indeed all of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Romans chapter 1 verse 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. He said this message that we are preaching, this one message that they had was what produced faith in people enough for them to believe with conviction in their hearts and receive eternal salvation through that. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin in defense, this is what they said, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They put Jesus Christ out front and said clearly, salvation is from him, is by him, is through him. There is no other name. Salvation does not come from a church. Salvation does not come from a pastor. Salvation does not come from whatever it is that you want to think of. It comes from only one source, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as they preached the Lord Jesus Christ, they knew what they were doing. They were preaching for the salvation of souls. They were not preaching for members to fill the ranks or the, the chairs, the pews of their churches. They were preaching for the salvation of people's souls. They were concerned for the souls of men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 24, this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, for the message of the cross, this one message, of the cross of Jesus Christ, of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Anybody who is not going to receive this message is a perishing man. He says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the salvation of God. And through the power of God, we are saved. Now, it is not everybody who hears the message that will be saved. In fact, it was not the first time, I'm sure, that you heard the message that you were saved. I probably heard this message several times before I got saved. But each time I heard the message and did not receive it, did not accept it, I was a perishing soul. The day I received it, I was saved. So that's what he's saying here. The message is foolishness to those who are perishing. It didn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. They just want, what are you talking about? When there's suffering in the world, when there are so many things happening in the world, how can you be coming to talk about Jesus Christ here? You're talking about somebody being killed. How can that be your hero? Heroes don't die. The heroes of the world that they claim don't die, they have died. They make films of people not to die, but they have died. Our own hero, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
died. And that death means a lot. Because he died, we can live. That was the message they preached. They were not ashamed of that gospel. They were not ashamed of that message. It was that message that brought salvation. In verse 9, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The wisdom of this world does not produce salvation. The wisdom of this world makes people to run away from God. It makes people to depart from God. It makes people to trust only in what is around in the world today. Today we trust so much in technology. We trust so much in science. We trust so much in politicians and what they say. But we are never saved for all that. Sometimes we even venerate politicians as being Christians. We say this person is a Christian. In fact, he gave his life to Christ. But when he begins to act, we don't even see Christianity in him. And so what happens? We are disappointed. Put your eyes on Jesus. That is where salvation lies. That is where salvation That was the message. They were not ashamed of that message. That's why Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 1 verse 6, I am not ashamed of this gospel. Yes, there could be a lot to be ashamed of, but I am not ashamed of because that is where salvation lies. It has pleased God to use the foolishness of that message. The message was so foolish in the ears of those who are perishing that it could cause you to be ashamed. But he said, I am not ashamed of this gospel. It may be foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who have been saved, that is the power of God. In verse 22, it says, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. Anybody who is coming to church for signs and wonders is not ready to receive the gospel. And those people who are coming to church because they think that you are eloquent in what you are saying, they are not ready for the gospel. You yourself that you are preaching that way, you are not ready to impart the gospel to anybody. In verse 23, it says, but we preach Christ crucified. We are preaching this message of foolishness. We are preaching this message that people are ashamed of. We continue to preach Christ and him crucified. To the Jews is a stumbling block. They are always offended when they talk about Christ crucified because they crucified him. It is a stumbling block for them. An offense, a rock of offense as it were. And to the Greeks, foolishness. The Greeks loved wisdom. And so for them, it was foolishness. The Jews wanted a sign instead of words. For them, it was just words. But in 24, it says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles like us, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That power that the Jews were looking for, for signs and wonders, you see, this Christ is that power. That wisdom that the Greeks were looking for to say they are believing, this Christ is, the, is that wisdom. It may be foolishness preaching him, but that is where the power is. The message of the Lord Jesus Christ produced enduring faith in the hearers because it was delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not delivered in the intellect of men, like we've seen here. Paul was writing, he said, I came to tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ, not with the intellect of men. Let me read again 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This time I'll take it to verse 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. So now we see how he came about this excellence of speech or wisdom. It was from what he was talking about, the Jews who were looking for power or signs, and the Greeks who were looking for wisdom. So I didn't come with any of those things that you guys would have wanted. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
That's the same thing that we, 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 just, we just read now. In verse 3 says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. If you looked at me as a preacher, there was nothing in me concerning that message. I probably looked like a coffee fellow. There was nothing to inspire in you something about me. In verse 4 it says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I did not come to try and mesmerize you with the words. To try and use, you know, we have so many cliches these days. The cliches are just too many. They're just flying all over the place. All kinds of things are being said. We know some of them. You say, God will take you from zero to hero. You will move from story to glory. You know those kind of cliches. All kinds of cliches are being used left, right, and center. So I didn't come to, to tell you all any of those things. I just came to preach the simple gospel to you. And it came in a demonstration of the Spirit of God. Why in verse 5? He says, that your faith, this was the goal of the gospel, faith. The Bible tells us that without faith, nobody is saved. And so the goal of their preaching was to produce in men enduring faith. It could only come by the combination of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what they used to create that faith, to bring that faith into people's lives. He says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When your faith is in the wisdom of men, you can end up an academician. But when your faith is in the power of God, you will be saved. So there are many people who are just academics when it comes to the word of God. They know it because of the wisdom with which it is being presented, with slides and other things. Not that slides and other things are bad. But, I mean, those things by themselves, they become the, the essence of what they are doing. The projectors and so many other things, they are good, by the way, but people get alert and drawn away by those things. Said so by the simple gospel preached in the power of the Holy Ghost. No genuflecting, no running up and down, no shouting, no screaming. Even if you shouted, it doesn't matter. No screaming, no rasmatas, no light, neon lights, smokes, and other things. All those special effects that we see in many churches to create an ambience or whatever it is they want to call it. Nothing like that. Plain, simple gospel. Why? So that their faith will rest on the power of God. If you read the scriptures, you will discover that when they went into a gathering, what they were interested in was whether they had faith. In fact, when they saw their faith, they were excited. Paul kept writing about, when I heard of your faith and your love for the brethren, oh, I began to praise God. I began to thank God. It was this word that produced that kind of faith. Let us read the whole of chapter 1. Of First Thessalonians, and you will see what we are talking about here. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I say anything, let me give you a background here. When Paul were virtually kicked out of Macedonia, it was to Thessalonica that they went. In Thessalonica, they began to preach. They didn't even stay for too long. And they were also run out of town. So we are talking here about someone who had spent, I don't think he spent up to a month, perhaps two weeks, maximum three weeks in Thessalonica. And now he's writing to them of what happened in those short two, three weeks that they were there. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Their faith had works. Their faith could be seen. Your labor of love 
and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. They were not talking about how they saw cars in their premises, how they heard testimonies of people who had houses. What they talked about was their faith, their labor of love, their hope in the expectation of the coming of Christ. So strong was these things, it was vivid in the memory of Paul. In verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. They were so assured that God had chosen them. These were Gentiles. In verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. When we came to preach our gospel, it came with power, power of the Holy Ghost. It came with that inspiration. There was the breathing of the Spirit of God on the word. And it brought much assurance to you. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. There was that assurance of faith in them. That God had spoken to them. In verse 6 it says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. Look at how they received the word of God. In much affliction. They were suffering. They were being challenged, but they received the word of God. There were oppositions, but they received the word of God. Because it came in power, and there was a willingness in their hearts. By the grace of God, like I said, God will give us the grace to speak about the receptivity to the word of God. In verse 7, it says, so that you became examples. They spent barely 21 days in this place. But they had become examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. They had now become people that they would look at. I say, see what God is doing in these people's lives. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. The word had spread. These people have faith. Today, when we talk about the church, what do we talk about? Oh, there are many people in that church. Oh, they have cars. They have money. They are rich. Their, their pastor just bought a private jet. That's what we talk about. Here, it was their faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Arising from that one message. Through the word of God. In verse 9 it says. For they themselves declare concerning us. What manner of entry we had to you. And how you turned to God. From idols to serve the living and true God. These were idol worshippers. See what he was saying. They turned. It was clear they had changed. I think it was in Ephesus. That when they heard the gospel. And saw its power. When the sons of Sceva tried to exorcise somebody and they were beaten by the demon, people now believed the gospel. They picked their books of sorcery, they threw it into the fire and burnt everything. People who had bars in their homes went and dismantled the bars and threw their drinks out and burnt them. Not so today. Today in many homes of people who are Christians, especially those big men, they still have mini bars. They say, we don't drink it, it's for our friends. Why should you serve to your friends something that you know that is not right? Why do you do such a thing? Because you have no faith. In verse 10, it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were expectant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was clear they were waiting for him. They were not waiting for houses. They were not waiting for cars. Another thing about this message, this one message, was that it was accompanied with signs and wonders. It's not the one that we walk signs and wonders without the word. The word there were signs and wonders accompanying, following the word of God. In Acts chapter 13, verse 6 to 12. Acts 13, 6 to 12. When they went out on their first missionary journey, they met with a Roman proconsul. But there was this false prophet who was disturbing them. Let's read the story. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, 
they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is what signs and wonders are for. Not the one that we are doing so that we can have members and there's no power in it. This is what it is all about. The fellow who was obstructing them, when this man saw that, ah, by this same preaching, this guy is made blind, ah, he was obedient to the message. In Acts chapter 14, from verse 6 to 10 thereabout, the Bible says they came to Lyconia, and they fled to Lystra and Derby and cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding regions. In verse 7 it says, And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet, that is, he was lame, was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. How do you see faith in somebody? But he could see that this guy was gobbling it up. He, the word of God was penetrating, was entering in. He was believing every word. Paul himself now said in verse 10, with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. That is power. The power that is in the word of God. Not the orchestrations that we are seeing today. These people preached the word of God in power by the spirit of God. In Acts chapter 4 verse 33, the Bible says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all with great power. In Mark chapter 16 verse 20, Mark 16 20, the Bible tells us, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord walking with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The gospel is not for us to walk up signs. We preach the word of God. The Lord accompanies it with signs. When we tell someone that the Lord Jesus Christ will save him from sin and he believes it, the Lord will confirm it as he saves that man from sin. The man himself will know it, that he has been saved from sin. I remember when I got born again, as I stood in front and others were reciting the sinner's prayers, I didn't do that. I was wondering why I was there because I didn't understand what brought me to the front of that meeting place. So whilst I was questioning I heard the Lord say to me by his spirit, I brought you here. If you want, you can turn back. And I said, Lord, from this place, I'm never turning back. And the moment I made that statement, I knew that the demon of alcohol that was my problem at the time had vanished. Instantly, something moved out of my body and I knew that that demon was gone. I knew it instantly. From that time on, I knew that certain things were changed about my life. In fact, after our salvation experience, I was taken to go for counseling. Somebody was talking to me. I realized that before that person would say whatever it was the person was going to say, I already knew what the person was going to say. It was a strength thing to me. 
when the person speaks, I'll be looking at the fellow and be smiling. And the fellow was wondering what was going on with me. Of course, I couldn't tell anybody that I knew what she was going to say before she spoke. They're talking of the power of God being confirmed with signs and wonders. The word of God was the basis of their message. It was not human philosophies. It was not politics. It was not nationalism. It was not some hot topic of the day. It was the word of God. They preached the word. They preached the word. They preached the word. They did not preach any other thing. They didn't preach themselves. They didn't preach the philosophy. They didn't preach politics. Today we come up with, especially during the season of politics, all over the world, you have people who call themselves prophets. Prophesying who will win and who will not win. And those prophecies don't even scan. Because a lot of it is just based on their flesh. It's based on what they have read in the newspapers. It's based on the pulse of the people they are feeling. Some of those prophecies are just to sway people from voting in the way they wanted to vote before. That's all. Manipulations. They didn't do that. They focused on the word. Acts chapter 13 in verse 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They preached the word. You will find the Lord Jesus Christ in the word. What is interesting, as we will see, is that this word they were preaching is what we call today the Old Testament. And they found Christ in the word. They preached Christ in that word. We look at the Old Testament, we don't see Christ. Yet there is Christ in the word. When the Lord Jesus Christ came, you will recall that he said to the Pharisees, when you search the scriptures, what do you look for? You are looking for eternal life. That same scripture that is, you are talking about eternal life, they speak about me. And what was the scripture was talking about? The Old Testament. Today we are having arguments about whether the Old Testament is relevant or not. It is relevant. It was what they preached from. We are the ones who have the New Testament. They wrote the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. There was no gospel. There were no epistles. There was no revelation. What they had was Genesis to Malachi. They called it the law and the prophets. That's what they had. And of course, they had the writings, which are the Psalms, Job, Proverbs, and so on and so forth. That's all they had. But that was the power. Today, people are disputing. No, it was only Old Testament we do in our church. No, we don't even go near New Testament because New Testament is corrupted. Oh, we don't. If it is the word of God, whether it's a Genesis or it is Deuteronomy, or it is the Psalms, wherever it is, even the New Testament, it is the word of God. That is what they preached. In Acts chapter 17, reading from verse 1 to 3, Now, when they had passed from Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. This Thessalonica we just talked about. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament. What to try to put aside, that was their scripture. So when people come and say to me, this is Old Testament, yes, it might be Old Testament, but what was the import of the Old Testament? If it is Christ, it is relevant. The portions of the Old Testament that are not relevant are those portions of the sacrifices, of animal sacrifices, and some of those ordinances that were as rules and regulations to them to observe, to keep them from going against the word of God. That's what was done away with. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, don't think that I came to abolish the law. No, I came to fulfill the law. So even those animal sacrifices, he came to fulfill. He is the fulfillment of the animal sacrifices. So when we read about animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, you can remove that and replace it with Christ. But you cannot jettison the entire Old Testament. God told Joshua, he said, this book of the law shall not depart from out of thy mouth. Moses may be dead, but the book, what he had written, 
It must not depart from out of your mouth. You must meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Moses may be dead, but the word is not dead. The messenger may die, but the message does not die. The message is still relevant. Whether it is Old Testament or New Testament, whether it was done in BC or it was done in AD, it is relevant. He preached from the scriptures in verse 3 says, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. From the scriptures, they were so open to the spirit of God, they could find Christ in the Old Testament. We are struggling. When we even look at the New Testament, we do talk about the New Testament. When we look at the New Testament, what do we find in the New Testament? We find money. We find wealth. We find greatness. Those are the themes that we come up with. We don't talk about Christ. Second Peter chapter 1. As we begin to round up now. Second Peter chapter 1. Let me read from verse 16. Peter is here writing. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Note this in verse 17 says for he received from god the father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain peter said i heard that voice i was there an eyewitness i wasn't talking about cunningly followed fables no 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 i heard it myself i'm a witness then it comes to verse 19 and says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. What's the prophetic word? Old Testament. Prophecy. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until that light of Christ begins to rise in your heart. You do well to focus on the scriptures. The Old Testament. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Scripture again, Old Testament. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Their message was from the Holy Spirit. It was from the words in what we call the Old Testament today. That was their scripture. That's what they had as scripture. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 7, it says, All scripture... And it's referring to Old Testament here. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. One inspiration, God. Not many uninspired people. And it's profitable for doctrine. That is for teaching. For reproof. For correction. For instruction. In righteousness. That the man of God. The man of God doesn't mean a pastor. The person that is of God. The disciple. May be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is scripture. So when we talk of the message and the word of God, don't tell me Old Testament, New Testament. It's the word of God. If it comes by the spirit of God, it's power. But I know that wicked men can preach the same word using different things and nothing happens. So they have to manipulate. They have to use trickery. We are hearing today of people going into swamps or going to rivers to bathe, to do all kinds of esoteric things so that they can have power, so that people can be falling under the anointing. What has that got to do? with the power of God? What has that got to do with the salvation of God? This craze for miracles is destroying the gospel. The gospel comes in word and power. The word of God, preaching Christ, releases the power of salvation 
with signs and wonders following. The signs and wonders come to confirm the salvation that the people have. It doesn't come to make them rich. Maybe rich in spiritual things, but not rich in physical material stuff. No, even if they are rich in material stuff, it doesn't mean. The Lord Jesus Christ, remember, he said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? So he cannot be talking about material wealth. What should if you gain the whole world and then you lose your soul? Many people chasing this thing, they lose their souls. The Bible tells us, I think in First Timothy, is it chapter 6 or so? He says, many in the pursuit of this thing, they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Beloved, in those days, they had one message. Jesus was that message. They had one motivation. The Holy Spirit was the motivation. They had one mission. The salvation of souls was that one mission. In our time, we must go back to these basics. One message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. One motivation, the spirit of God inspiring us. One mission, to bring souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we ponder on these things, I pray that the Lord will help us to receive it with humility and not quarrel over it. And I trust God that when next we meet, we will come with the word of God again. And we trust God that it will meet you well. God bless you. And goodbye.